Welcome back to this little podcast. This is your host, Gord Van. Today's episode is episode 29. Uh, if you haven't listened to the past episodes, check them out. You can uh, search them on iTunes. Just search Snow and Booming Podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can also uh, search uh, SoundCloud, which is a great platform, uh, easy to navigate, uh, and also mobile friendly, too. So you can uh, listen to them on your uh, iDevice or uh, Android. Uh, um, there's uh, uh, apps uh, for, uh, for podcasts, and you just uh, search search them and uh, follow them uh, like us on Facebook uh, still Wing podcast and uh, when you do that all the episodes when they uh, when I drop them uh, I'll go up on Facebook and on iTunes and on SoundCloud and on Twitter too so plenty of options to uh, to listen to this normally podcast there's some great legends on there today's episode is with Bob Hogg Bob is a local uh, uh, legend uh, uh, raced mostly in southern Ontario uh, great success Today, co-hosting with me today is Phil Motel from Snowbird Television and Snowgore Magazine. Doing, Bob? Good, thank you, Gord. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Good, good, good. good. So, Bob, I, I've known you for many, many years. A long time. Um, when I when I first started watching snowmobiles, I I was watching you, and um, <laughs> uh, fascinated by uh, by your your oval racing. Uh, your uh, I mean, you're you're always running up front. Thank you. Um, and you had a signature move. I and mean, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, when you when you won your races. You had a signature move uh, that you always used to. You, you remember that? I do. I okay, do. Yes. perfect. We'll talk yes. about that yes. Uh, yes. too. Uh, Thank you. And how that That's came amazing. About. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. Sure. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, it was your signature move. Um, so, Bob, how do how do you begin snowmobiling? Well, it's, it wasn't the normal the normal growth of your father buying a 1968 Skidoo and then you ride this thing for your whole life and you become used to it and then you just sort of morph into racing or you or you just go and play on something else. But I wasn't exposed to any sports or sleds or anything aggressive. I was kind of a mild guy because of my speech. I got beat up a lot in school. Be and I was like six feet tall in grade five. So that was what's our plan today? Well let's go beat up Bob. <laughs> then we moved. So I had I'm I'm just trying to explain that I didn't have that that exposure and in the beginning, so then we um, we moved to Quebec, and I, I became we moved to Quebec, and I, I became uh, that's a nice song. Somebody should answer that. That's uh, that's uh, Ed Hackerson's uh, phone going off here, and okay. he's out of the office. So here, so, so we'll, we we'll moved. So when we moved to um, Quebec, it was our third move, and I'm, I still didn't have that drive for racing, but I, I, I didn't know about racing at all, and we um, uh, the people in Quebec were a, a lot nicer. To me, than the, the pre- previous two spots, so I got involved with the jocks, and my life started to become uh, sports-minded. And I started to think a lot, which helped me in racing. I started to think of why, how, how come this is happening? I mean, you know, this is like a, like going to maturity or whatever. But it was my brain saying there's something missing, Bob. So 
when I was living in Quebec, I, I found um, a, a marina that liked, uh, they raced boats. And I, I've never seen this before in my life because I never thought on TV. And I was just like, holy crap, this is good. Like the noise and the speed and the water spraying. And so I spent the entire summer, whenever I could, hitchhiking to every race I could go to to watch these guys. And my favorite guy is Chuck Simon. And I'll mention that why maybe later on. And then, okay, that, that was fun. And then, in, so I started to go in there in the winter, and I saw this, they came up with this racing snowmobile, like it was a full mod, alcohol, because they used alcohol in their boats, they knew about it, big pipes on it. I just went nuts. Like, I just stood there and stared at, like, what is going on with this life? This is, I need to have this thing. So I just spent the next three years thinking about sleds, right? <sighs> After we finished school, I was in a head-on car, car crash and um, I had plans to go to university for something else but then I had to move to Churchill Falls Labrador snowmobile world and um, it's kind of isolated but they had skidoos there and when I eventually healed from all my broken bones and injuries and stuff I, I got a job up there and I bought a skidoo and they had um, what was that 18 horsepower the TNT I remember mm -hmm. what year that was Anyways, um, and they had a race, and I just smoked everybody. This is pretty good. So then they had a cross-country race, and I smoked everybody again. They only had four races a year. And then they had another two races coming up, and my dad says, you're making, me, you're making our family look bad because it's, I don't know, he felt that was not a good thing. So I kind of played with the pack, but I still won all four races. And that was my introduction, first phase of my life. Of, but at the time, I had no idea about what makes these things go. So I, my car, I could afford that. I had an 850 Fiat with convertible because I like to pick up chicks, right? This nice car. So how do I get the sleds to the race? Put a piece of plywood on the back of the 850 Fiat, put the, put the, get some friends to help me put the, put the snow jet on, on the back. And I traveled to races all winter. And I, never, I, ne I was never in top three except in long cross-country races because of the setup I didn't know about. So I did that, and I just, I just kept losing. I thought, it's, no, it's not me. But I didn't know it was a sled or me or what was going on. And then I left there, and that was the end of that phase. And that was cross-country racing? And this was just up, up north in Ontario? or Yeah, well, they had, they had back then, we used to, um, they had carnivals. Like, they had car carnival races and, and, and short races. And, and the short races, the sled just wouldn't go right. Like it, it, it just lugged a lot. But in... Cross country, there was a lot of ice, and I didn't realize, so I didn't put two together. The thing was a bullet on ice, and they had they they go across these big um, uh, maybe a hazardous room. That's all ju jumps, and I was one of the only guys that could take those jumps at full speed. It was kind of, kind of um, you had to know when to hit the throttle and when to get off, and I was lucky at that. And that that was it, Gord. That was so that was phase one Churchill Falls couple of years phase two in Muskoka somehow I ended up in <laughs> somehow I ended up at Diver Falls somewhere and I worked at the hotel as a bellhop which was really good money and I, I there was a I'm still hang, hanging around sleds so there was a dealer and this is back when before all you guys were born except that no the dealer's gone now he was a rough dealer and he um, and I talked to him and I and I told him I was good, and I, so he gave me a sled to use, and he paid for my entry fees and, and, and studs and stuff. He had a track dyno, 
this is where this is where it started. So each I I knew this rup nitro. I had a good one. Um, this rup nitro, where it had to rev. This is already beginning. Where it had to rev to go fast. So um, I took all the studs out every week, put on a track dyno. Okay, it's good. Put them back on again. And we won races like going out of style. Like we, it was a 340 rough. We won uh, 340 stock, 440, 400, 340 mod. Because back then, Gord, and it was not like sanctioned racing like the o o OSRF. It was millions of carnivals every weekend. Like I go sometimes to race Saturday and the next day I go to race on Sunday. And I made money doing that, just entering all the classes. This rough was just a bullet for me. And I, I started to make a friend in, in, um, in real estate that was kind of wealthy, so he says, I'll take you to, I think they had a, the first, one of the first OSRF races was that, must have been at the exhibition in Toronto, I think. He took me there, and my style of riding was on the bank, so they, they plowed this track out in the, in, the, in, in the grounds, and they had a bit of a berm on the outside. And I went through like three heats, and I beat everybody, and then on the, in the, in the final, I went off the track a bit because I'd ride in the banks. Came back on, I still won. I my money. But you went off the track, you're DQ'd. <laughs> so, so that so anyways, I raced that rough on banked ovals, and I just raced the shit out of it every. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, we just it was just so much. This is good. This is good fun. This is good money, and I'm having a really good time. I had no at that age. You have no nothing else to think about really. So then that was over. Because the dealer went bankrupt. Bill Urquhart, he passed recently, um, a while ago. But anyways, he said, I, I, I told him my dreams that I want, that I want to race a Yamaha. Because I like that name, and nobody else was winning on a Yamaha, so that's why I liked it. I like to be the underdog, right? So uh, he says, well, write to Yamaha, and just tell them you're the best at what you do, and I should work for them. So I did, and they hired me. <laughs> to work for them? For Fred Dealey. So I went to Fred Dilley, not as a racer, but as um, the, um, I worked in the shop as a mechanic. I knew some stuff by then. And um, it was kind of uncomfortable there. There was a lot of politics going on. And the, the early 70s, like 70-ish, when the, um, the first Yamaha race that's come out, you have to, the, the SR, 340 things? Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. Those, those boat things? Yeah. That year. So I'm working there, struggling along, and um, they had these race sleds sitting there from somebody else, and they were, there was no talk of a race program. So I went to the boss and I said, I'm your I should race it, I'm, I can do it. And I hadn't raced on the OSRF except for that one race, so he said, well, do you know these guys? Oh, yeah. I raced the ball tight, like I lied, because <laughs> I'd never raced there before. So I said, okay, so we'll give you a 292 and a 440 and the van and uh, Tony Fletcher will go with me, Tony Fletcher. Tony Fletcher and really smart Mike Duncan. He's, he's a smart guy, or not? He's really smart. Yeah, he was a smart guy. So anyways, the three of us went off to some first race. This is my first time in a mod. I've never seen it, like I've never even driven a mod before, but I told him. So <laughs> we went to this race. I think the first race was in Ottawa, sanctioned, like big time. And uh, we, were, we got a date or a half a date. Oh, we showed up there, got all this 
signs unpacked. <laughs> you know those signs at the gas station where it says, don't fill your gas tank in the van? This, this happened before they, they made that sign. <laughs> and the reason why? <laughs> I burnt the van. <laughs> I remember that. The van burning? Yep. Oh, was that ever bad. Fortunately, the sleds weren't in there, but Tony Fletcher's... <laughs> Tony Fletcher just got back from England and he had all his precious shoes in there. <laughs> they all burned. That must have been about 75 bucks. No, no. Way before that. Wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was 70, like early 70s. I remember the van burning. So, <laughs> so, so anyways, we raced, and um, oh, this is bad. So, Tony, Mike Duncan was the two, the, the 292 was getting his problems, and that was the dial carburetor. So, Mike Duncan, so I go up for a lap, and Mike Duncan turns it. And we did that about four times, and he got it just right. And the 440, I didn't have a 650, it was the same. So, uh, something stupid overwhelmed my head before the race. I, went, un I lifted the hood and riched it up about the 16th of a turn because I didn't want it to seize. Well, chip, yeah, I, went, I, I ran mid-pack. Did you just like chicken? Like some dinner stuff. Oh, okay. So, um, so the, the 2 was a flop. So then I got on the 440 and I won. I, I won all the heats and I won the final, the 440. And then I, I, I entered the 440 and the 650 and we, um, we were um, third with the 440 and 650. Went back to Yamaha, said, okay, you did really good. They were, they were happy, happy, happy because we got fame now, right? We, won, we finally won a race on a, on a Yamaha. And then the rest of the year was okay, but not so good because of Circle M carburetors, but at that time I wasn't, I'm going to back up a bit, okay? Um, we had we, we had a lot of trouble with this, and this is with, with you, Phil, asked me about this mecha mechanical stuff and, and learning from um, Mike Duncan. Um, this, the 650 kept burning down all the time, and we had Circle M carburetors, and they were, um, they weren't that good. So Mike, what Mike Duncan did was he put in three head gaskets. In, a, in this 650. And I smoked everybody the next race because it, it was on my kind of track. It was a, like a banked oval. That's the only thing I went on. And it was just, it was so fast, it almost ripped my arms off on the start. Amazing, eh? Like he just, he didn't, he, the, the people that I've been exposed to, luckily in my life, are free thinkers of that kind of stuff, like um, Mike Dunk. But then the, we, we couldn't figure out the Circle M carburetors. Do you know what they are? <laughs> no, not at Huh? Not at all. Do you want to no. hear about them? Sure, let's hear about them. Are you sure it's okay? Yeah, absolutely. Circle M car, because this is part of my whole program, Th these were my nemesis my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Made you the man. There no, <laughs> no, it cost Yamaha a lot of money and me a lot of wins, these damn things. Cir Circle M carburetors were invented by um, Kenny Roberts, the, the road race guy. And I like... Kenny Roberts because he knows how to practice, but um, they were a fuel injection, but they were mechanical fuel injection. So we had there was no there's only a it was just like a throttle body, but it worked off the pulse and it had a lot of a lot of things going wrong with it. And if you don't maybe people that are listening that know carburetors will understand this, but it had the same now I know has the same effect as if you had a 40 millimeter Makuni 
and you had too big of a air of a high speed too small of a high speed air jet you can't too, you can't get that crisp at the top that was what it was doing but we didn't and Yamaha said you will run those no matter what happens you have to run those so they caused me problems they they called me bog hog <laughs> like halfway through because the thing whoop, whoop, before it took off anyways um so I don't know how to say it. We were, it's hard to remember all this stuff that went on. They, um, so we had a good year, and um, I don't think I ever made it to a second year on with that program. I didn't. Because then I, you know, Fred Dealey was being bought by Yamaha Motor Canada. Yeah. And explain, explain Fred Dealey. They were the distributor for Yamaha. Harley-Davidson as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He, he, was a, he was a dealership too. He was the um, Canadian... He was the Canadian... Correct me if I'm wrong, Red, Fred, Ed. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> they... <laughs> they... Um, <laughs> you keep calling me Bob Works. No, you keep calling me I Bob Works. Work, That's not so bad. Um, what was I saying? So <laughs> they... they um, Fred Dealey? Yeah, thank you. That's why you're here. <laughs> Um, distributor. That's okay. I'm getting there. Yeah. So they were the distributor for Canada. Was my question, right? Yep. So uh, that in that part of my life, racing and working for Fred Dealey, I really liked this job, and um, I was having struggling. I was tr struggling with Fred Dealey's staff because I was a snowmobile guy, and back then snowmobiles were zero. Yeah. So I really had to fight and fight hard. To even keep my job, and fortunately at that time, um, um, Yamaha came along and bought it, and I and I, and the Japanese engineers m met me, and for some reason I could understand them, maybe because how I talked, <laughs> you know, <there> was <laughs> they thought you were talking normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Canadian, very yeah. interesting guy. We have to engineer this. Says everything through time. <laughs> Speak louder, they can't hear you. So we. <laughs> it's a hard life <laughs> for both of you, Ed. So, so Yamaha, so Yamaha, Yamaha engineers like me for some reason. They really, they really like me. I got got along well, and it was kind of hard at Fred Dealey because I overstepped everybody when they asked me to do certain things. One of my first jobs was. Um, yeah, my first job. Oh, they wanted to um, bring all this stuff to. At this time, Yamaha's main office was in Vancouver, right? That's where they first started. That's that grew fastest, and then Toronto was secondary. Now it's reversed. Um, and try, just trying to get the timelines right. They were. Um, 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 <laughs> they maybe ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we, we got the gist of, of, of Fred Dealey, uh, but uh, Fred Dealey was, you know, they were also involved, with, they were heavily involved in, in motorcycles. Exactly. You know, they had Yvonne de Hommel racing for them, kind of, kind of thing, like, so a lot of big racers went through Fred Dealey. Yeah. Now, Yamaha Motor Canada, um, we know it now as. Um, so, um, <clears throat> BC, I met Steve Baker. Yeah. And Steve Baker and I must have put in 100 hours in the parking lot road racing, like we'd set up pylons on GT80s. And he says, you're pretty fast, Bob, but I'll put you on a 250 horsepower. We'll see what the difference is then. 
But he was he was fun to be with too. Right? Steve, yeah. Steve's a pretty good guy. Yeah. And um, and then I I started to meet the guys out there, and they took me up and um, I, I started to do snowmobile shoots in the mountains um, um, and um, shows, and and then I went to motorcycle. I didn't have an apartment for three years. I don't think I just traveled with Yamaha. And I just, um, it's so confusing now, it's fur fuzzy, but um, they, they just took me everywhere. They did everything for me. And then I said I wanted to race again. And they said, well, you can't race, you work here. So I didn't know what to do, because this is a, you know, it was a dream job. Like, you, you couldn't have a better job, could you? No, no, absolutely. Working for them is, and the jobs I had, and nobody really knew me there because they never saw me because I was never there. I was always, oh, and, and they asked me to do, okay, so back to some more detail. They asked me to do, um, they wanted these three Japanese engineers to do, uh, to visit every dealer on the East Coast. So I said, he said, Bob Hogg, you set this up, you engineer it, you give us a budget, tell us where you're going to say. Uh, so I did a complete deal of exactly how much gas it costs, where we're going to stay, the whole ball of wax. And I traveled with three Japanese engineers for like four months, staying in, oh, they were a lot of fun. <laughs> and we just, and we just, it turns out that this engineer was, one of them was Tom Yamaguchi, maybe you remember him? Mm -hmm. He turned out to be the um, boss of Australia. So that's how they bring their, their men up. And uh, we, so we went on this tour, and you guys, maybe, He's experienced, maybe has experienced it, but the way they think in, in life is something we don't understand. Like their work, work ethic. Maybe we don't want to understand that. Eh? Maybe we don't want to be like that. Yeah, we fight it. Yeah, they were. I listened to them, and I listened to them a lot, and they're just amazing. Like, um, what was uh, what, the engineers you were, you were taking around? What was their purpose? Why, why, why they, were they going to the dealerships? Secretly. Don't forget who they, they pretended to be just the lowly mechanics. But like I say, Tommy Yamaguchi, and I'm sure the other, I just don't remember the names, the other two guys. Mike Shiboya was another one. They all went up to big time, like, running countries. So these guys were floating as mechanics. But they were looking at every dealership closely. They were, they were in detail, checking them out. So we, they just wanted to see everything, and they were fixing them. Um, we had a problem with the 650s at that time. They had a high-speed wobble, and they had a they had a remember 650 uh, Yamaha RD650. And I did a lot of stuff like that. Like I told you when we were talking before, I, I got to travel with uh, Bob Work, who's a really uh, <clears throat> I can't explain it. But I'll tell you more if there's time for him later. But he invited me to all his um, um, like road races. As a pit guy, like I put gas in bikes and stuff, and that was an eye opener too. So that's the kind of stuff I did with with the Yamaha. Then I decided I need to race again, so I said you can't race. I quit. <laughs> stupid, really. Stupid. It was a great learning session. Working for Yamaha. Oh, for, it's, for it, everybody. it changed my life. <clears throat> it was. I, it, I get an interesting. Uh, it's interesting listening to you talk because you know and see it work because we've had a tour of your facility here and you're very detail oriented, very the workflow of the people, <clears throat> and I've also watched you work on sleds and you're very disciplined. And when you talked about the Japanese with the wrenches, and I've seen you work in that same way. There's a way to do it and there's a way not to. <clears throat> but 
you you both seem to be managed to bridge that gap of the culture at that time because everybody else were, were racing North American product on snow. You're the only ones involved with the Japanese. So how did you find your culture and discipline melting with theirs to create success? Sorry, it's not a yes or no answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad thing to ask me then because I'll just, r- j- j- just rant on for the day. Uh, what? <laughs> how, how did you find it? Because you alluded to that before about the Japanese when they'd say you have to use these carburetors or there, there, there seemed to have, there was a, a, a distinct way of doing it. It's the design this way you have to use it, but you managed to bridge that gap and bring open their eyes and that there's a there's a there's a way of R and Ding it on the track as well. I think well. it was a struggle. We didn't we, we didn't we didn't bridge the gap ever. There was no we didn't end it. There was no they think their way and I thought my way. Um, I think more uh, Asian or Japanese way. And I I love where I live, of course, but in that kind of racing stuff um, and exposure to Bob Work, Mike Duncan. Bill Sargent, who maybe we'll talk about later. Those guys are brilliant. Their thinking process. I've, I've go, I'm going off subject here, but when I'll just say one thing. When at advanced part, we'll talk about this later. When I got to mod stock, I, I maybe I told you guys, I did. When I got to mod stock, the um, I don't know how much you say now. Okay, I'll just tell you this part. The um, at the end of the season, sort of everybody's like, it's this nice social, everybody's sitting around the hotel and drinking <coughs> and stuff and having a good time. And the Japanese, a couple of Japanese were there that didn't, we, I didn't know them really well. And they said, how come you, how come you said so fast? And I was all drunk and Bill was drunk, so he told them. And they said, impossible. Computers say no. And they walked away. Just like that. Which is gone. So that's that story. That's... Bill always said, I'm moving, I don't want to too far. Bill always said that, Sergeant, Bill Sergeant, that when the engineers made the Yamaha, they made it right. They, they say, you need these parts. The guy that made the engine, he made that really well. But when they give it to production, they changed it somehow. Like they, they, they took things away from it. And for, um, I'll jump ahead here again. For example, for my for my GPX years, <coughs> stage four, which we'll get to, I, t- I had driven all the snowmobiles, and I drove, the one I liked the best was the GP43 of the day. And I thought, holy crap, does this thing ever ride nice? So I took a lot of parts when I had my GPX stock. Don't listen too hard, Gordon. Uh, <laughs> we never raced against each other. No, Bob, we didn't. So not... <laughs> uh, but I did race your sled, though. Uh, yeah, After you did. The fact, yeah. You did, yeah. Um, 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 we took a lot of parts from the... G- I, took a, I took what components, suspension components, parts that I knew worked, and I put them on the GPX, <clears throat> which was legal because it was OEM product. And I put uh, the who we all dream of seeing in those days was Jim Edema, right? So on Monday at that, in 1974, in stock, that's when um, all those Mercury things were going to, and we were fast. Twisters? Yeah. So they had a charity race on Monday. And who's entered this 340 or whatever it was stock race? Jim Edema. This is good. I'm going to race Jim Edema. So, they are in heart of snowmobile racing at the time. Yeah, you just look. This guy was like, whoa. 
so him and Thibault took off again. So I'm, I'm chasing him. I thought, ha, 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 I'm going to catch him. Because I knew it because I did the last two days, right? So I'm, I'm going around and around, and I, was, I could have passed him on the... <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> I could have passed him on turn three by the third lap. But I thought, you know, for the fame part of my life, I'm going to pass him in front of all those stands and really look good. So I was coming on a turn four or three, and the exhaust spring broke. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I never passed him. I, I pulled off. I had to draw, stop racing. You know how long that lives? Like, with a, with a racer, like, the, the, the people that are listening that are racers, you, that haunts you for the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? It scars you. Oh, seriously. It's really, it's really, really bad. Is <laughs> there a lot of sofa talking with psychiatrists and psychologists? Oh, it was so... So you had the chance to pass the best of the best. Right and there. A, and an and and exhaust spring broke. A dollar. You should see my parts. exhaust springs today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... It, uh, it was awful. Like I just, I, I just broke down. I thought, oh, like this is my big chance to be somebody. And it broke. This is off topic, Ed. You see me do that at Peterborough. Oh, you have. Remember that? <laughs> What'd you do? Wine ready. Gord was running four wheelers. Oh, oh well, well, yeah. I said, I said his girlfriend race. was there, and I said, you know, he was dominating. He, nobody got close I, to him. I, I, I said, I Gord, watch him. You win the race. I said, we'll break this bottle of wine because, man, when you get ahead, something clicks here. And and you fuck up. <laughs> and, and and he goes he goes what? Ed he goes Ed this will not happen this is my and it was he, he was really good I know he was this he is was my fast. race da, 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 da. and he's way ahead and he looks back and picks a fucking bail <laughs> no <laughs> yes really oh no first to last literally I'm there with his brother with a bottle of wine there I can't <laughs> fucking believe this it was like somebody would have to write this script this could not happen he, like, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't like this I far looked back yet. for a second and I hit a, I hit a hay bale no, I mean after you crash what'd you say to yourself like what'd you do uh, I, did I, I didn't come back right away did I <laughs> oh that's pathetic <laughs> yeah I think, I, mean, no, I, I think we had left the track before Gordon came back in the pits. Oh, I, <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think I came back for a while. No, but oh. he was good. You know, there, there's no question about it. He was really good, well I know. prepared. I know. I, I extremely good, and then it was like, fuck off, Gordon. Boom. <laughs> 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 you hit a bail? No. <laughs> yeah, but that was. Oh, so carry on, Bob. Would you, did you, I lost yeah. my so Ken, Ken bought a new vet. I bought a new vet. So today? Ken, you know, yeah, going back a little while ago. But Ken and I. Did you buy the vet today? No, not that one. Okay, no, it wasn't a good one. Oh, okay. So I thought it was a better deal than it was. Not deal. I thought it was a better car than it wasn't a good one. Anyway, Ken and I went out for for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and Ken starts laughing. I said, "What are you laughing about?" He goes, "Remember the bottle of wine?" Oh, I ordered a wine. He goes, "Remember the bottle of wine?" No bottle of wine. Remember when Gordon was on the four wheeler? <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't even finish our meal. Like, you know, when you say about regrets that you have, yeah, I mean, yeah. because he was so dominant, it was like, yeah, I know, I, I know. But that grounds you real quick. It does, Gordon. Eh? <laughs> Emotionally or physically? Both. <laughs> yeah. just, just pulls you right down. Anyway, Bob, carry on here. That was a, that was a okay, nice so that that was, was a moment. Okay, so that's all the, um, that's all the stock stuff, right? We co- covered passing Ed and why. So now all these years he's wondering how I passed him because you slowed down, but it wasn't your fault. And, um, and the Jim Edema thing. And, um, I never forgot it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that, that was that. So that's spring, that's that's pretty. That haunted you with your, with, with, to take, overtake edema. 
Well, Edema was our, he was our god, you know. Edema, you'd see him go down, you know, when we were watching a race, you'd see Edema go down the back straightaway, and you see his hood flapping, and you see him going by everybody. It was like, how do we do that? You know, because he came from the States, and, and he was like way ahead of us technology-wise. And we, one of the things that Bob and I always got along with is we love technology. We like looking at how do we do this better? And, and like, like he says, everybody thought we changed our engines. We didn't change engines. We just made everything else work better. Mm-hmm. Same, same so what, when, when did you start with Yamaha and, and <clears throat> connect with, with, with Bob? Yamaha, I started probably 74. Okay, right when he started to, r- to race the mods. Yeah, really. he was already working with Trev Dealey. And then I, I actually, there was a Quebec distributor named uh, Raymond Greff. And uh, I got to know Greff quite well and in racing snowmobiles in Quebec. And he said, you know, you should go. I was, I was a national sales manager for Datsun. And he said, you should, you should really go to Yamaha because you'd like doing something there. Anyway, I went there, and, and that's how I got involved with, <coughs> with Bob. What department were you in at Yamaha? Well, when I first started out, I was uh, parts and accessories. I was the warehouse manager, and then I became the... Uh, apparel and accessory manager because they were doing a lousy job and uh, and then I moved into marketing but where my kind of forte was was when I moved into marketing the Japanese always like and Bob will tell you this the Japanese always like to pair you up with two jobs so that you're doing really good at one job we better give you another one because you can probably do good there but maybe not quite as good so (laughs) <laughs> they made me race director for a couple of years when Bob Work went away, okay. and, the, and the whole thing changed. Then I became race director for motocross. What year was that? It, I think that, uh, race like director was seventy six. Okay. When I and and so then, it was at the end of the SSR era. Well, that would be the eighties. No, that would be the beginning of the SRX era. You're right. You're right. It was the SRX 76 era. Seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah, it was when we moved from GP four thirty threes and two SRXs. Yeah. We moved into the SRXs. All right. The liquid cool yep. program, right? I can remember the going around with the Japanese, you're right, about going around and, oh, Edo, we got this new engine. We got water going around. And <laughs> go very fast. <laughs> really? You got water going around? Going around. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. just think of that technology. Okay, Bob, let's, let's go to that sector. Okay. So <laughs> sector 4C. 4C, yeah. <laughs> so now, okay, so now we did the, um, the, the stock, and, that's, and Yamaha was happy with our results. So the so next the next year we got even more support. Yeah, I got a budget to go buy the whole bottle of wax. Johnny Clare said, "Why don't you come and race for me? I'm a bigger dealer." It's okay. So I said, "Okay." So we got a 340 to 440 for mod stock. Like we're moving up, right after stock. Um, and I had him in the back of the shop, and this this kind of guy walked back and just like a. Have you met you? You know what he walks like? He's just a. Like he looks like a bumpkin, right? Who's Bill, that? Bill, S- Sergeant. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's a genius. But he just he's just he's a farmer guy, and he just looks like you know, and that's his forte. Like that's his life, and um, <laughs> he'll listen to this, so we have to be careful. <laughs> so um, um, he said to me, "I never met before." He said, "So you're fast, eh?" I said, "Well, the sled's pretty fast." And he said, "That's what I wanted to hear. Can I work with you?" Sure. So he, he says, I have a shop, the whole the whole thing. So that's when, Phil, when things started to go like, <clears throat> whoa, this guy's amazing. 
Bob, <laughs> when did when did the Cote affiliation happen? Next oh. year. I'm not there yet. Uh, for deep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's a little Frenchman that had the drag car. I don't want to say too much. <laughs> no, we want to hear. We want to hear about him. Oh, you, you will. Cause, cause, cause you cause will. He, you will. Okay. Okay. So, um, um, in 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 Modstock, the first our first Modstock, we went to uh, the Peterborough um, Bob Work. This is where I met, started to meet Bob Bob Work. Bob Work actually met me in stock, and he said, uh, you, "You have a really fast sled." I said, "No." So in Modstock, we went to um, we go to a farm in P Peterborough before before the big race to test, and Yamaha had set up a Quebec factory team, sorta. I don't know how that worked, but they were there too. And Bob Brooks said, why don't you race these mod stocks so just to see how fast they are. And, but don't, don't be too overconfident because you're racing against heavy mod stock sleds, a lot less horsepower than you have, blah, 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 blah. Well, we just smoked them in every, in every heat. They packed up and never even raced the next day. They just left. They went home. <laughs> Who was that? And that was the Quebec? Some Yamaha. kind of Quebec factory. Yamaha. They had factory sleds the whole yeah, ball really? So I said to Bob Brooks, bring yours out. No, they're clean. Okay, that's into mod stock. Okay, so next year we're... Um, now we're getting into Bill's thinking all year. What are we going to do? Because Yamaha, we know, is going to sponsor us again. What do we want? We want Bob Works old factory sleds. Because, or do we want a new SRX 76 SRX? No, we want the old junk. So Bob Works says, well, um, Bill Sargent says, well, how are we going to get these? <laughs> so he says, why don't we ask Cote? So we did. Cote said, okay. So he bought them or got them or something, and Yamaha did the whole even better sponsorship again uh, now with, with, with more money. And we got the sleds, I think, in um, August. And that's when the fury started with Bill. That's when the true, like when he finally learned, like he thinks about this all the time. And that's when the true stuff came out. I can tell you when the, I'm going to back up to C, to Modstock. He discovered this in Modstock. Oh boy. The engines, the belts were the wrong length on Yamaha. So Bill made this thing, this jig affair. And what it did was it ran mechanically, it ran the clutches through their motions slowly. So, and he, he measured every increment of the clutch on the primary in relation to the belt on the secondary. And he, as turning it, he discovered that the belt was too short. The, the clutch locked out with the belt this far from the top. So what that means, the belt will still come to the top, but it's burning now. Nobody knows that. Wouldn't give you speed. Wouldn't give, but that was how all Yamahas were built. As a matter of fact, sorry Yamaha, you make a really good stuff, but my 99 Phaser had the same problem, my trail sled, and I changed it. And then later on, I was playing with uh, somebody's rev. It had the same problem. They fixed it now, but back then they didn't. So Bill Sargent knew that, and that was what I told the Japanese engineers. I said, this is wrong. They said, no, it's impossible. The computer says it's not. You understand what happened there? Mm -hmm. Going to talk here. Well, a lot more than that. It was just burning the belt, and it wouldn't, wouldn't it, it'll work. It worked for you afterwards in, in, on your SRXs, but, but you were fighting that. You didn't know you had that problem. Nobody else did. Nobody does to this day, I don't think. Now they know. Um, so that was, um, and then that brought up a whole new world of new things. 
Because when you do that, it changes the shift RPM. It changes how hard it shifts. It changes how less it shifts. It changes when it shifts. So if you took your real, if you had real clutch weights on a on a Polaris, for for example, and you put did this system, you'd have to it, it over revs like. You, you, Without this system, you'd want to make the system over rev, put this on, and it pull right down perfect. Okay, so next we'll, we'll try and move on quickly. The, Cote, uh, Cote. Cote, yeah, we're, we're in the, my final year. So um, Bill says he wants these things, right? So how are we going to do it? This is how we're going to do it. So then Bill had a lot of time, and I had free time. So we moved into Bill's shop in August, and Bill got, got these things. And this is where, um, where Bob Works, a genius, came, came into play because we knew he did it. We knew, we knew something, some things he did. He had the, I, I don't think they came from Japan this way. I think he, he thought of this. The, um, the ignition was completely removed and he put on a TZ250 rotor, like only this big, so no weight. They put on uh, Arctic Cat primary and secondary clutches. The chassis was the same look as a GPX but it was about a tenth of the weight, and the front end was all a tenth of a weight, too. Everything 13, was... 13? No, the, well, no. It was, it was a 7074 T4 aluminum, with, um, but really, really thin. Um, the pipes were, were actually made sound. They were made in the Japanese um, music factory. Like, you could, it was like this pop can. You could just squeeze them. And that was the whole key, those, those pipes. We ran airplane fuel. We didn't even have to run high... High, high octane fuel because they weren't that much compression. <clears throat> um, every the bottom end was this was a stock GPX bottom end. The pistons, which we didn't get any of, <laughs> Bob Work lied to us. He told these pistons that they had were tighter than the than the than the OEM pistons. They were makes more horsepower. And Bill says we got to have some more of those. Bob, he says oh, but those and they were lightweight. He said those are our slush pistons. We you can't have. Continuing on with uh, Bob Hogg, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about your uh, your racing era with uh, with Fern Cote. Tell us about uh, that that uh, sector four E now. I guess we're up. <laughs> okay, so the um, <laughs> Bob, Bob Hogg Racing version three point nine download now. Revision two. <laughs> so they um so this time I was ho I was hooked up with Bill Sargent, and Bill and I had a plan that we didn't want. Yamaha would have given us brand new sleds to race because we're getting really thick with them again. But Bill, he's much smarter than most men. He says he wanted those old sleds to, he'd rather have the old sleds rebuild them than having new sleds two weeks before the first race. So we got the sleds in like August. So we, we um, Bill thought we should contact Vern Cote. He was a really nice man and uh, he liked to win. So he said, okay, we'll do that for you. I just want all your trophies. Okay, it's a good deal. Fern had one of the original. He was one of the first to have a tra transport at, at the races. Fern had everything, everything you can. He had um, he bought everything that was available. He bought the Kohler factory sled. He bought the he bought Bill News factory sleds. He had stock cars. He had race cars. He had drag cars. He had airplanes. If anything that was fast that was fast at one time he owned in his his barn. It was I don't know if he had if the factory teams in the U.S. had the same as what Bob Work thought of. I don't think they did. Bob Work could um, he could he could 
like to put the to take the ignition off and put a, two, a TZ two fifty rotor on there. Like think of the how would how would you do that? Like how would you get the ignition to work? Um, he had all the jack shafts drilled, like um, stuff like that. He put Articat clutches on both ends, and he did a lot of small things that um, he made the chassis adjustable. He did the, he nice everything was nice. The difference between Bob and Bill was um, if I could have had the two of them together, it would have been nice. But excuse me, they were they were they wouldn't work together. Excuse me, Bob work had the. Bill probably had two. Bob work had the ability to spend money and to get people to do, like, I want this, make it happen, right? Bill just made everything himself. He had a, he had a full machine shop. That's the di difference. And Bill's theory was, so he, so having what Bob work did, a good baseline there, and giving it to Bill, it, it just made it, it just, it was just like, this is a dream world. Mm. I wish, I, I can't, there's so many things that were done to that sled, I can't. I, I can't, I can't, there's not enough time to, to say them all. He, we, we touched every nut and bolt on, on that sled was changed. Every nut and bolt, if it wasn't, no, no bolt was left longer than it had to be. Um, if we could change it to titanium, we, we got titanium bolts. The, um, the jack shaft was, was held on with a circlip like that. Everything, everything minimum was, it's just a minimalist sled, like no other. Any... any no functions? No. Not at all? Everything worked? All the time, yes. The, the, I think the secret was, the, <laughs> the good thing was, the race gods were with me this day. So we're going to Peterborough, first race in my pro career, racing against, going to race against the best guys in the world. We've never, I've never driven this sled before, never driven a mod that, of that caliber. So Bill has a, a dirt road with ice on it. I just drove down the road, just screaming, skis were dangling. And I said, this is beauty, we're gonna. And that's, that's how, it, how it went with Fern. And then Fern, I just gave him my trophies and we, we met at the races and Bill talked talk to him. So it wasn't a, wasn't a real buddy-buddy relationship. I got what I wanted, fast sled and, and, and the ability to race and Fern got the fame and the trophies. Where's your trophies now? With Fern. Yeah, yeah. Fern, well, Fern isn't around any longer. No, I tried to find him because my because my studs were up for sale, and um, at that weekend I was gonna I had to finish third on the Monday to get uh, win the course of cup, and at seventy six that was that was quite a feat, and um, Yvonne hit me from behind his throttle stuck in the next lap. He went through the wall. You may remember that. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that cost me the cup, and they gave me the first ever a Jim Edema Memorial Award, and Fern has that, so that's kind of sad yeah. that I don't have that anymore. Can you track that down? Well, I've tried over the years, but you know, it's all it's all gone. Um, I don't know. I could talk so much about that study, but like, but like Phil said, you just get off on a on a tangent. Like it was, it was nothing. Unless you drove it, you wouldn't you wouldn't get it. And you can look at me at, at a, of the five pictures I have. Of, in 1975, I was hanging off the sled like a normal guy would with a, with a spring suspension. You look at my 76, going in the turn at close to 100 miles an hour, and I'm sitting straight because the sled is so well balanced. It, it, it's, that, yeah, you, you look like it's so, it looks like a studio pose. Yeah. It doesn't look like you're actually going that fast. That's bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's... It, it, it's yeah. And, and Bill just, there's... 
in, in, in racing, there's, you can have the, a good sled, and to, make it, to bring it to that pro level, that factory level, there's only like five little things within a millimeter here or a millimeter there that actually make that difference in speed. Any idea where these slides are now? I saw I see them for sale, but if they're but they're so hacked up now, like they've made them wider, and and the track has gone around, and uh, nothing, they're gone. Nothing yeah. really original. And the engines are all hacked up now because they had to modify them and and stuff like that. So that, that seems to be an unfortunate thing. Years ago, <clears throat> a lot of the race lights, when you saw them two years later, people had changed them for for ice races or grass races, so they chopped a lot of the pieces of yes treating them just like a race sled because that's in fact what they were yes then 20 years later people look at this say you, 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 you can't undo what you did no yeah. no they're just they're just gone but it was there it was so light like on the on the starting line i could pick it up by the handlebars like how could anybody beat us it was just it was beautiful and um we, we did have a problem learning with it the the articat clutches because of the um, the rotor on the side set up the wrong harmonic balance in the, in the crankshaft, so we had a lot of clutch wear. And I had that issue on Sunday. I didn't get a very good start, and I had to catch Sammy Sessions. But that was why, because the, the, the wearing wasn't going on. But we can move on from there. That's all I can, you know. Yeah. I, I, so, I, so, so where do you... Go I, I said, well, that, that must have felt amazing. I mean, on a year-old sled that you guys basically tore apart, rebuilt completely by yourselves... You're, you look at the era of the professional driver circuit followed by Snow Pro to race at that level and beat these guys from and the factories do. with brand new sleds and with what you guys were working with. That must have just been an amazing feeling. Yeah, it's it's, it's more so now than, than than it was at the time. Like one time, oh, it's normal. I should I should win that. But yeah, like that was. You think about that. It's huge. The uh, the big problem. The other second problem was I wanted to go to the World Series next week. And I couldn't leave Canada. Fern or somebody said, I can't go. We can't go. There are some other politics in there we won't get into, but I wasn't allowed to go. Like, I ran with these guys. I beat them handily, easily. The 440 was not as fast. It was over-revving too much. It was fixable. But I couldn't go to the States to run with that. I, I should have right then and there just went right to that circuit. And If, if I could have got to the USSA circuit, it would have been, I would have been competitive. You could have snuck across as an independent... Painted it black and just raced, or something like that. But anyways, that's just the downfall of not, not being have a, like no manager, no. I didn't have any strength, like mind strength to do that stuff. So I just, I just let it. I almost quit right then and there that weekend. I, I was ready to quit. I don't want to race anymore because I was so mad. <sighs> okay, so where, so, so where do we where do we go where do we go after after Cody? You know, I mean, you uh, you you went independent for for a year. No. Oh yeah, not a year, one race. Um, um, we had a full deal again with Yamaha and Kote, and then, I don't know, something went wrong, and he came and picked up the sleds, period, <laughs> I guess. And then somebody... Did, did he quit, or...? No, he didn't quit. The other, they kept going strong with my sleds, and they put somebody else on the sleds. When we gave them back to him, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't like, we raced them. They were real. We put them back to where we got them from the factory. So I, I don't know, I was mad. Somebody gave me some sleds and we built kind of a suspension, but it wasn't, it wasn't, unless I could have what I had to race with, I didn't want to race anymore. And I raced your sled once. Yeah, your second retirement. 
Yeah, my second retirement. And then um, I got involved with a guy with a 1977, he had a 77 as well, uh, 77 SRX. And um, he, I, I told him I don't want to, I can't race it because they don't steer. So he thought of, he changed this, the, uh, the rake by three or four degrees, like the, the steering rake. It was like on a rail. So I, so I raced that, and I cr crashed and almost took, took my eye out. So my wife says, okay, you're not doing that anymore. And then that was, um, and, then, and then blah, 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 blah. We went on for years, and I just went, I don't know, just doing normal shit like normal people. And um, then Yamaha phoned. He said, you want to, all, the, all their factory drivers are quit. Do you want to race this SSR on the, on the weekend? <laughs> Does the sun come up in the morning? So... I went there and Bob Work said to me, you just tell him you're hard, having a hard time getting used to it. I said, okay, which I was. I've never, to this day, sat on a 440 that was any faster, and I've driven the 600s today. I've never sat on a sled that was so fast in a straight line than that thing. It was just bullet, like, holy crap, man, are you serious? I was gonna go and steer. Um, what he had was um, he had a prototype Makuni car carburetors. There were 54 mi millimeter carburetors with um, morphing into a, a butterfly with a, with a needle. It's pretty trick. And he um, Bob worked lowered the he lowered the engine and had the steering on the on the bottom. And don't forget, two factory drivers drove these things before me. So Bob Work had a stock SSR 440. He had a SSR 440 with a 340 engine in it. And he had a 440 full-blown factory one. And uh, the 440 stock one steered so much better than the lowered one. And I, I, I just, I didn't say anything to him. But I said, I thought to myself, didn't they drive it? Can't they tell? Like, you're driving the stocker and it's better than this mod thing? And it, uh, it had all, it was so fast, but it just, it wouldn't steer. Enough said about that. I could have made it, we could have made it steer very easily. We could, it, it was geared, I could feel it was geared for like 200, mi 200 miles an hour. It was way over geared. The clutching was pathetic. It was like, the belt was like 200 degrees when I finished the race. With my race the year before, you could put your tongue on the clutch. It was so, it, it was so efficient. And, um, this thing had so much wrong with it. It's just so much waste of good equipment. And nobody can make them steer. I, and I, I think I know why, but I think I could have fixed it. So my mistake was I didn't go into Yamaha on Monday saying, hire me, I wanna make that thing go. I just let it go again. So then a few more years went by. I'm coming to the end, Gord. <laughs> you, you can wake up soon. Um, the, uh, um, I got hooked up with some guy that was racing flat track bikes. He said, you want to race this? I said, all right. So we worked together, and he was the brains behind, behind the outfit. And we built a parallelogram suspension on a flat track bike. And we did the same thing as we did to the, the, my, um, Yam my, my Yamaha thing. We welded a, a six-pedal reed on the jug, and, a, and we used the carburetor on the, on the rotary valve. So the engine had a one reed valve carb and one rotary valve carb and a parallelogram suspension. 
Well, um, a real flat track racer couldn't race it because it didn't handle it, it wouldn't slide. But, <laughs> but taking off the starter, you could just, you've driven bikes, I could just hold it wide open, let the clutch out, and the front end would not come up in the air. It just, gone. Got through the turns, and it, we won most of the season, and then uh, the exhaust pipe broke and fell off, and I had another bad crash. <laughs> so Lawrence says, okay, that's it for sure. Good. And then? And then when? <laughs> when Ian was born, <laughs> when Ian was born, um, I got rid of everything. I had an electric lawnmower. I had no, I, I didn't read any magazines. I didn't, I didn't care. I wanted to eat in sports, like in, in man sports. So we did that. He played all that stuff. And then when he was around in university age, he says, we should race carts. So it's small. And then we got a, we got a wise, um, a 125 shifter cart at the long motorsport track. The speeds there are like 105, 110 miles an hour. And we did the same due diligence to this cart that I've learned over the years with the carburetors and all that stuff. And Ian won the Mossport 125 championship. And then we quit, for sure. And that is it. Until now, I'm working at the other side of the fence. Yes. Right. Mechanic. Mm, tuner. tuner, not a mechanic. Tuner, tuner mechanic. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's, uh, that's quite a story. Boring. Well, <laughs> my, my last question now is seeing you at the track, and then you go way back. When you're at the track side, as a tuner, what are you listening and watching for? Are you watching the racer and how they're handling the sled? Are you watching the sled on its own? What do you, what do you? Yes, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, the the um, the unfortunate thing is this: I, I I've I've been with three really good teams, really good teams. They're all awesome people. This year, I only had I only had four hours, like for the whole season, to work on the sled, and we just couldn't. Um, no matter how much they listened, we just couldn't couldn't dial it. It just it just wouldn't without time on it. There's nothing. I'm I'm mostly now I'm morphing into more suspensions now. I'm watching that more than anything else. And uh, Skidoo has come out with a new clutch now, which is like a Polaris cl clutch. So that'll be that's interesting. But um, I'd look at there's lots of stuff. I don't look at engines much. Just at the how it handles, what's how it's coming up there. Um, you know, going into a turn is is more. You have faster lap times if you can go into a turn faster. So my key goal would be to get through the those stutter bumps. Use that word. You can get through those bumps into that turn. That's going to really save your time. But we had so many problems this year, and and um, Mitch King was so patient with me, but it was just a disaster for him. I don't know how he got through it. It was really painful, very painful. Are you going to be in the? Are you going to be standing in the snow again this year? I don't know. We'll have to see. Him. Mitch King is a is a is a very busy kid. He's he's in university still. He's um, he has some pretty good jobs. His father's in um, in farming in Tim Hortons, so the kid's really everywhere. Like he's a brilliant guy. So uh, he's he's not really made up his mind yet as to which way he's going to go. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. That was a big, long one. <laughs> That's good stories there. With I don't that, know, with, Gordon. With, with that end, Bob, and, uh, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good deal. So, All right, thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks a lot, Phil. Thank you.
Thought you had it turned off when I said that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>